Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. We're at the beach getting ready for camp last Sunday. And my father-in-law, Eric, did an incredible Listen, I've worked with that guy and I have given him everything I know about, and he did a pretty good job. He did a great job preaching the word last week. I, I'm so proud of him. Listen, theologically, he was right on target. Biblically, he was accurate and inspirationally, man, I'm going to tell you, it was a challenging, good message. Now, just being his son-in-law, I've got to correct a couple of things uh, that went wrong very early on in his message. All right. So let me correct him. First of all, he had mentioned that he was from Alabama and that there are a lot of schools in Alabama. Listen, I just drove through the state and drove back up through the state. There are no schools in Alabama. He mentioned there were colleges, but we know there's a couple of colleges down there, right? They're just NFL training grounds, right? They don't really teach anything. Um, the best that money could buy. Anyway, so that's, he also mentioned this. He said uh, um, that he married his wife, Dana, my wonderful, I love my mother-in-law, but he married her when she was 17. And he said, that's just what we do in Alabama and in Kentucky and Arkansas, right? Not a list you wanna brag about, right? And so I just wanna correct a couple of those things and say, man, he did a great job. It is so good to be back with you guys, to be back in Jonah. And some of you are like, how long is this book? When are we gonna get through this thing? Well, hey, the countdown's on. This is the last of two messages in the book of Jonah, but we have, we have learned a lot. Today, we continue in our series in Jonah where God said go, and Jonah said, no, now we've had quite a journey with Jonah, right? We met him there in Jonah chapter one and we saw as the word of the Lord came to him and said, Jonah, I want you to go 500 miles to the east. I want you to preach to Nineveh the message I give to you. And we watched as that prophet of God took off and went the exact opposite way of where God called him, right? We went with Jonah to the shores of Joppa. There he paid a fare and he boarded a Phoenician ship and he set sail for Tarshish, which was 2,500 miles away from Nineveh, where God had called him. And we saw as Jonah took off as fast as he could from the things of God. We walked with Jonah down in the belly of that boat, of that ship. And we watched and kind of astonished at the fact that this prodigal prophet was able to go down into the bottom part of that ship and just fall asleep. Even more amazing was when a pagan captain came down and had to wake this prodigal prophet and say, hey, listen, Jonah, I, I need you to pray. And all of a sudden, it was very mindful to us as we went up on deck with Jonah that the rain was beating against our faces, that the wind was beating against our body, that there was a storm that was only sent by only one person, that was God. And it was, the Bible says it was hurled, a great wind was hurled at the ship and the ship threatened to break up all because of Jonah's sin and his running. As we stood on deck with Jonah, we saw the crew begin to, in a desperate act, cast lots to see whose sin was the very cause of this great storm. And God, as God always does, he shows up, he exposed Jonah's sin to the entire crew. Just an incredible scene. We then watched as Jonah would proudly proclaim that, that I am a Hebrew and I worship the one true God. And yet it's so confusing because he was running from that very God he claimed to worship. We then were astonished when this prodigal prophet said, you know what, guys? If you'll just take me and throw me overboard, this sea will calm down and the storm will stop. And I'll tell you what, I was amazed because what the Bible teaches us is that this pagan crew, instead of just chunking him overboard, which by the way, I would have done immediately, the 
pagan crew heroically tried to row to shore, but God would not have it that way. They wanted to save Jonah's life, but they couldn't. Well, when push came to shove, we, we watched as this pagan crew picked Jonah up. We could sense the terror in his eyes as they threw him overboard into the sea. Do you remember the moment that the storm ceased and all of a sudden a pagan crew who knew not of God began to worship God on the deck of that great ship? But where's Jonah? We watched him drown. We watched him go underneath the waves in the sea. What we learned of his struggle is he was finding himself on the depths of the sea floor and the seaweed was surrounding his body as he described it. He was dying. And in the midst of such great tragedy, we find that God appoints a great fish and this great fish comes and in a way that only God can do and save in a day, God saves Jonah's life. Chapter one closes with Jonah drowning and Jonah dying. But also we find that God was delivering. Chapter two etched into history the prayer of Jonah to the Lord as he drowned in the sea and was delivered by the great fish. The prodigal prophet was now coming home to the Lord. He stopped running and he started repenting. He dethroned himself as the God of his life and again enthroned God as the God of his life. And now the stage was set. We went from running to repentance and now to what is often referred to as the greatest revival in all of the history of the world. In Jonah chapter three. So let's journey with Jonah into Nineveh, ground zero for God's mercy and grace in the ancient Near East. And as we do so, as we walk the streets of Nineveh together this morning, what we're gonna uncover here in Jonah chapter three, what we're gonna discover are three truths about revival. A word that is thrown around a whole lot in the life of a church, but little is known about it. And here's the first truth we uncover. You ready? When it comes to revival, hear me church, God wants it. God wants revival. Oftentimes, as we see what God does in this chapter among the people of Nineveh, oftentimes it is referred to as the greatest revival in all of history. But I'm telling you, revival took place in Jonah chapter three, but it was not amongst the 120,000 Ninevites, but it was revival in the heart and the life of one man, of one believer by the name of Jonah. So in your Bibles in Jonah chapter three, let's begin out in verse one. And it says this, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Hey, let's just stop here real quick. A second time. We begin to uncover and unpack here that God didn't let Jonah drown when he could have. That God could have disqualified Jonah. That he could allow his name and his story to be lost to history. He could have let Jonah continue running and in his rebellion and watch it destroy him, but he didn't. God wanted revival to come to Jonah. God's answer to Jonah's running Revival. God's answer to Jonah's rebellion was revival. Hey, listen, church, you ready? God's answer to your running and my running, to your rebellion and, and my rebellion, God's answer in God's heart is revival. And the Bible says this. Here's the message. Go to the great city of Nineveh. I want to stop there. Nineveh may have been a great city in size and stature, but even greater than the city of Nineveh was God's heart for the people. He says, and I want you to go and proclaim the message that I give you. 
And Jonah, watch this in verse three, that Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Hey guys, we see revival here. How? Through obedience. I love this quote from Charles Finney. He says this about revival. Revival is nothing more or less than a new obedience to God. Isn't that good? Revival is nothing more and nothing less than a new obedience to God. And what Jonah is experiencing is revival. But what is revival? Here we see the beginnings of revival, that it begins with God. And when it comes to revival, it, it seems to move in us and it also seems to move us as we see in the life of Jonah. Now I'm gonna need some, a little bit of help. Is Aaron Murphy still here? Come here, brother Aaron. You're perfect for this part, buddy. He's one of our, our, our interns also. He just graduated high school. Dude, I need you to help me preach this message. You ready? This is gonna get weird for a moment. Just trust me, okay? I need you to step in front of me. I need you to lay down on your back. Kind of sideways towards me. There you go. Turn around a little bit. There, perfect. Good. I need you to drop your legs. I need you to drop your arms. I need you to play dead. Perfect. Okay. Now, now here's, here's what I want to do. As we begin to define revival, I want to use a CPR dummy. No offense. All right. Have you guys ever been to a CPR class? And you've seen that human looking things. No arms, no legs, just a human torso there. And, and you go to CPR class and you begin to train on a CPR dummy what it is to revive somebody. And so you get on that, and I'm not going to do this to you. Uh, no rumors from here. So you get on them and you start, you start doing compressions on their chest, right? And then at some point in those compressions, you do a rescue breath. I call it the kiss of life. Anyway, we're not going there. But you do a, a kiss of life and you put, you put air back into their lungs and you try to get their life revived. Why? Because, because they're dying. There was once life and now a person's dying. So CPR training gets a dummy that has no life. No offense. And then you practice on that. In fact, let's just stop here. I need you to still stay dead. Okay, you ready? Stop. I want to share with you one of my favorite movie clips of all times. Now, I, I never really watched this show, but Zach showed me this movie clip. And it is incredible. And this is what every CPR training class should look like. You guys ready? Hey, let's dim the lights. Let's show it to him real quick. Remember, we're talking about. All right, well, let's get back to it because you're losing them. Okay, too fast. Everyone, we need to pump at a pace of 100 beats per minute. Oh, okay. That's uh, hard to keep track. How many is that per hour? How's that gonna help you? I will divide and then count to it. Right. Okay, well, a good trick is to pump to the tune of Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. Do you oh, know that song? Yes, yes, I do. I love that song. <clears throat> First I was afraid, I was petrified. <laughs> no, it's... Uh, 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 staying alive, okay. yes, staying yes, yes. alive. You were in the parking lot earlier. That's how I know you. Everybody works with that guy, right? Okay. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, staying alive, staying alive. Ah, 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 staying alive, staying alive. Uh, you uh, can't uh, tell uh, by the way <laughs> I use my walk. I'm a woman's man, no time at all. Was it loud when the Lord been kicked around? What's going on? Well, it's all right. It's okay. You can look the other way. Let him go. Let him go. Okay, you didn't maintain 100 beats per minute, and the ambulance didn't arrive because nobody called 911. So you lost him. Okay, hey, listen. Man, that's what happens in CPR training, right? 
There's a dummy, listen, I've been to several of them. I've heard of several of them. And never once did that dummy torso that laid on the ground come back to life, no matter how many times you pressed on its chest, no matter how many times you breathed into it. Why? Because it couldn't be revived. It had no life to begin with. Well, here's Brother Aaron. And let's say by some great tragedy, man, he falls to the ground and we're out the pool together and he went underwater for way too long. And all of a sudden, this young man who was once alive, once alive now finds himself dying. Man, the very thing that I learned in those CPR trainings now goes from a dummy to a real life person who was once alive, but is now dying. And I'd get down on my knees and I'd pump on his chest. I would breathe into his lungs. I would pump on his chest and I would breathe into his lungs until prayerfully and hopefully he would become again to life. He would come back to life. He would be revived. Now, as you, I want you to stay dead still for a minute, okay? Here's the picture. Oftentimes we believe revival to be for those who are spiritually dead. But hear me, the very heart and the target of revival is for the believer to be brought back into life in Jesus Christ. It's not necessarily for lost people in its target and its focus. Revival has to do with those who are in Christ and have grown cold spiritually, have become apathetic, sin and circumstances have raised up, and spiritually they find themselves dying in their relationship with the Lord. Revival exists to bring them back to life. And that's what we see in the life of Jonah. Hey, let's give it up for Aaron Murphy, the best CPR dummy. We have yet to know. No, he did a great job. But that's the very heartbeat of revival. And as we can see here in Jonah chapter three, in Jonah's story, that doesn't God go through great lengths to bring about revival in Jonah's rebellious heart? Hear me, church. The first truth about revival that we see here in the book of Jonah is that God wants it. He wanted it for Jonah, he wants it for you, and he wants it for me. Here's the second truth we find in the book of Jonah, you ready? Not only does God want revival, you and I need it. God wants it, hey, but listen, you and I need revival. Look at this in verse number four. I love this, it says, and Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Talk about a task amidst the scary people. But Jonah's going and doing when all we had known of him up to this point was he was running and fleeing. We find that Jonah is going and doing. Now, Jonah is a stranger in a foreign land. He's an outsider. He probably just didn't march on into Nineveh and get on the street corners and and start preaching, holding up his Bible. Probably more than likely what happened as was customary, Jonah would go to the city leaders, to the city dignitaries, And there he would begin to have a conversation. Perhaps they exchanged gifts. And then he would inform them on the very manner of business by which he came. And that was to share the word that God had given for the people and while he was sent there. But here's what I want us to note, church. In this idea that that God wants revival and you and I need it, here's what I want us to note. Revival took place before Jonah uttered a single word to the Ninevites. Before one Ninevite repented, Jonah repented and experienced revival in his heart. You ready, church? It is a reminder that revival doesn't always begin somewhere else with somebody else, but that revival begins with me. That revival begins with with you. And we see that here in the life of Jonah. Jonah, and here's what happens. And once we experience revival, God takes such revival that he has produced inside of us. 
And he takes it a day's journey into our, our families, into our marriages, into our children's lives, into our businesses, into the school place, into the workplace, that God takes it a day's journey into our lives and it begins to spill over into the lives of other people. That's what revival always has done. Jonah needed revival and God gave him revival. Evidenced in this prodigal prophet's now obedience to the will of God. Hey, church family, can I ask you a question? Do you need revival? Do you need it? Is there a time in your life where you were closer to Jesus than you are today? Are you praying? Are you in communion with God every day? Are you in his word? Are you sharing the gospel? Are you loving your neighbor? Are you pointing your spouse and your kids, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, are you pointing them to Jesus? If you say anything, you know what? There has been a time where I've been closer to the Lord. And for the rest of the questions, maybe you answer, no, I just, I'm not, I'm not really walking with them. Then church family, hear me. You need revival. I need revival. And here's the problem. When it comes to this revival conversation, we always pray for somebody else. But you and I must understand that I need it, that you need it. When it comes to revival, we are quick to pray it for America. But here's the truth is God wants to begin revival in his church before it ever spills out into America. I love this from J.I. Packer. And uh, of course I shared this with you. Um, revival is nothing more or less than new obedience to God. But watch what J.I. Packer says. He says, revival is the visitation of God, which brings to life Christians who have been sleeping and restores a deep sense of God's near presence and holiness. Then springs a vivid sense of sin and a profound exercise of heart and repentance, praise and love with an evangelistic Outflow. I'm going to tell you, man, I need some of that in my life. I'm going to guess a lot of us do. Revival. I want to share with you now one of the most famous of all revival prayers. Listen, every time you talk about revival and you're a Christian, you got to quote this scripture, right? Or revival does not happen. And you know what passage this is if you've been around the church in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. This is exactly what I'm talking about. God wants revival. You and I need it. Note the structure of this prayer. If my people, that's me, who are called by my name, that's what Jesus has done in me. Watch this, will humble themselves. God wants humility in me. And pray, God wants fellowship and communion with me and seek my face. He wants to be my greatest pursuit and turn from my sin to come to him in repentance, turning from my sin and self and pursuing Jesus. Watch this. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will hear, heal their land. Guys, look at me. The greatest passage of revival in all of scripture is a reminder that God wants revival. And he wants to bring it to me and to you. And that is where revival begins. Oftentimes we look at revival and we want revival, but we don't want repentance. And guys, that's never an equation that works with God. We want revival, but we don't want to 
seek his face, it's never an equation that works for revival. We want a revival, but we don't want humility or prayer. Guys, let me hear you. I want you to hear me. Revival begins in my heart and your heart. And then from there, it spills over to the hearts and the lives of other people. Revival moves God to action in the lives of the culture and the community. But first, he does so in the hearts and the lives of the believer. Now watch this, you ready? Three truths of revival. Number one, God wants it. Number two, you and I need it. And number three, God brings it. God brings revival. True revival cannot be manipulated. It cannot be manufactured. It cannot be fabricated. It is of God, by God, and for God. And we see God bring it in Nineveh. Take a look at verse number five. The Bible says this is not, as Jonah preached on that first day, Bible says this, the Ninevites believed God. That word and that phrase, believe God, means not only did they believe the message that Jonah gave, but they believed in Yahweh, the one true God himself. Now watch this, a fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. That's a cloth made out of fine goat hair and it is uncomfortable and unsightly. But man, they were broken at the coming judgment. A fast was proclaimed. Hey church, hear me. When the Ninevites, when the Assyrians thought that they had angered a God, they would go off to war. They would ratchet up their violence in order to appease their gods. And yet now we find them acting in a way that's totally culture shifting for them. And that is they begin to deprive themselves of food and water from the greatest to the least. Listen, this isn't just the poor people. This isn't just the rich people. This was all people who were broken in their sin and the pending judgment of God. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Now listen, in sackcloth, when you clothed yourself in sackcloth, it was a sign of great humility and brokenness. When you sat down in the dust or the ashes, it was a sign of great humiliation and heartbreak over your sin. And here the most powerful man in the city at the very message of God, because the revival sparked in the prodigal prophet's life, is now broken before a God he did not know. Hey, can I, can I tell something real quick? What we're gonna see in verse seven is that this king issues a royal decree, and we're gonna read a little bit of it. But I'm gonna tell you something, Dad. Your influence in your family is the very same as the influence of this king in his kingdom. If God will move in your heart, Dad, He'll move in the heart and lives of your kids. Hey, mama, if you'll let God bring revival to your heart and your life, he'll do so in the life of your kids. Hey, hey, business leader, why don't you let God bring revival to your heart and your life and watch how it spills over into your workplace and your employees. Hey, employee, why don't you watch how God brings revival to your heart and your life and watch it spill over in the business that you work for. Hey, students, why don't you let God bring revival to your heart and your life and watch it begin to spill over into your classmates and even your teachers across your campus. And the Bible says this, that this very king issued a decree. He said that all people and all animals should be covered with sackcloth. Listen, he didn't just go far with this. He went too far. Not only are the people to be clothed, but also the animals. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them get all their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? Now, does this sound familiar? Remember the pagan captain who was calling on Jonah to pray? Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not 
perish. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. What God began as revival in the life of Jonah is now spilling out all over the people of Nineveh. Now, some people ask this question, but is this genuine revival, Anthony? Is this genuine God moving in the heart? Is this a genuine repentance? Now, many scholars would say no. In fact, in just 40 years from this moment, we find the Assyrians yet again engaged in violence against their neighbors. We find them yet again going back to the gods that they serve. So was this a genuine revival? Was it really an internal repentance? Or was it just an external show? Well, it's hard to tell from here. But let me let you in on the words of Jesus as Jesus recounts this. Jesus is talking about the Pharisees who had yet to repent to God. The teachers of the law, the religious leaders of that day, Jesus speaks to them and in calling them to repentance, listen to what he says. The men of Nineveh will stand at the time of judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now something greater than Jonah is here. You know what Jesus does here? He lends legitimacy, he lends a genuineness to the repentance that overtook the people of Nineveh. And watch how it played out for the people of Nineveh in Jonah chapter three, look in verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. I jotted this down. And the conversation of was this genuine repentance? Was God genuinely moving? As for the Ninevites, God relented because of their repentance. And he would not have done so in response to their hypocrisy. God brought repentance and revival to the people. Now, we've been camped out in the Old Testament for weeks now. And so the question might arise from us, well, we've been in the Old Testament, that was Jonah, but what about New Testament and Jesus? What is revival? What part does it really play in our hearts and our lives today? Does Jesus even talk about revival? Well, I'm gonna call your attention to the book of Revelation as John would write seven churches in Asia Minor. In fact, really what John was doing was taking notes down as Jesus spoke to these churches. And watch what it says here, particularly to the Ephesian church. Watch what God says in Revelation 2, verse 4. He said this to the Ephesian church, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Guys, I don't hear you. Hear me. This is, this is devastating. He's saying, guys, you've forgotten about me. You love other things and other people more than me. You have, you have forsaken your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Hey guys, I want you to hear me. This is a passage not oftentimes used in revival, but this is exactly what God wants to accomplish in the life of his people. That this revival that needed to take place even in this Ephesian church, it was an invitation to revival in light of the real threat of replacing Jesus with something or someone else in the life of the church. It's an invitation to remember Hey, church, remember all that God has done for you. Remember the cross. Remember the empty tomb. Remember the day he saved you. Remember the prayers he's answered. Remember the feeling that you had when you walked closer to him than anything else in all this world. Remember, it's an invitation to repent, to turn from our sin, 
to turn from our pursuits and our loves that eclipsed and made us forget our love of Jesus. And it's an invitation to return to Jesus. Gosh, you know what? That's the formula for revival, isn't it? To remember, to repent, and to return. That is the invitation of every revival. And here's the question I have, and we have a lot of introspective questions this morning. But have you forsaken your first love? Have you forgotten him? Have you replaced Jesus with something or or someone else in your life? I love what Vance Havner says. He says, this revival is the church falling in love with Jesus all over again. Isn't that good? Revival is when the church falls in love with Jesus all over again. And I want you to hear me. God wants it. You and I need it. But hear me, church, only God can bring it. So here's the three prayers that I want us to close with. You ready? The three prayers of revival this morning. Number one, the first prayer, God revive me. Begin nowhere else. Begin with nobody else. But may our prayer be, God, revive me. I need revival. Uh, That means allowing the Holy Spirit of God to expose our sin and our selfishness, giving him license to rid our lives of sin and allowing him, the Holy Spirit, to have his way in our hearts and our lives, in every area of our life, not just some. God, revive me. You want to see revival break out, church? Let it begin with you. Don't wait for somebody. Let it begin with you. Here's the second prayer of revival. You ready? Revive us. Revive us. Begin to pray for the church. Now listen to me. It is far easier to pray for someone else to have revival and for America to have revival and forget that God wants revival in your heart and your life and that God wants to begin revival in the life of this church. I'm going to tell you something. There's some dead places in, in our lives as a church spiritually that we need God to breathe life into. That we need God to do a work. And so we pray God revive us. Revive us. Revive our church. And listen, not only Connect Church, but all around this community right now, churches are meeting. We need revival in every one of our sister churches and in the churches that are dotted all across this planet where they can openly today worship Jesus. Some in close countries where they can't even speak his name publicly in fear of persecution. So they're meeting underground today. We need revival in this church. So the second prayer is revive us. And the third prayer is this, redeem the lost. God, would you save people? You see, revival always begins with us. It always begins with this church, but hear me. It spills over into our community and into the world. I love this from Charles Spurgeon. He says this, revival begins with Christians getting right first and then spills over into the world. Isn't that right? Revival begins with us getting right before God, and then we watch as God spills out revival over the world. This is exactly what took place with Jonah. The revival of Jonah chapter three began with Jonah, and the effects of such revival spilled over into the people of Nineveh and the city of Nineveh. Catch this statement, you ready? Church, who knows? Someone's redemption may be waiting on your revival. Someone's redemption, someone's salvation may very well be waiting on your willingness to let God bring revival to your heart and your life. 
it did for the people of Nineveh. Time had passed between God's call and Jonah's preaching. It was delayed, and I just wonder this. I wonder how many people's redemption is waiting on your revival and my revival. It is waiting on our church's revival. You see, redemption came to Nineveh on the heels of repentance and revival coming to Jonah. When revival happens in the lives of believers, it always makes an eternal difference in the lives of unbelievers. When real revival happens in the church, the gospel spills over into our homes, into our communities, and into the world. Revival takes evangelism off the back burner of the church and puts it front and center in the lives of believers and the church. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.